Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Business Advantage Podcast. I am Alicia M. Pennington, owner of Advantage, mama, business consultant, and your host. I started this podcast back in 2016 to bring awareness to business-related topics and athletic training. And now here we are seven years later on season four, discussing the transition from self-employment to business ownership. Let's dive in. Are you a self-motivated athletic trainer looking to take control of your work? Advantage is seeking relationships with athletic trainers who want autonomy, flexibility in their schedule, and who thrive in non-traditional contract opportunities. If this sounds like you, get in touch. Key learning objectives. Recognize various business entity types and which are most applicable to your individual situation. Analyze the risk associated with continuing to operate as a self-employed person versus a business owner. Decide on an appropriate next step for self-employed work based on analysis of your individual situation. Now that we understand the prevalence of self-employed work and the benefits of owning a business, we are left with the question, should I start a business? The answer isn't necessarily yes in all cases, and there are parameters that should be investigated to truly uncover the proper answer for your specific situation. We will explore that in today's episode. As I touched on in the previous episode, and what we will use as the definition for this episode, a business is defined as a separate entity of yourself. The distinction of this is either an LLC, an S-Corp, or a C-Corp. Now, you may have heard of something called a DBA, and this is referred to as doing business as. If you simply set up a DBA, you are only informing an agency that you're doing business as another name. You are not actually starting a business. So when I reference a business during this episode and beyond for the remainder of the season, we are mostly going to be referring to an LLC. For even further distinction, I am inferring that each of you would be a solopreneur. This is both a definition and a legal distinction. By definition, a solopreneur is a person who sets up and runs a business on their own. Pretty straightforward. Essentially what we've been talking about, which is using self-employed work and running it through a business. And this will be the case for most of you. Even if you're venturing into an entrepreneurial endeavor beyond just self-employed work, you still most likely will be a solopreneur and will continue to just run your work under an LLC. But since we're on the topic, let's briefly touch on the difference between an entrepreneur and a solopreneur. To put it simply, solopreneurs do it all themselves. They're the founder, they're the employee, they're the entire team. You are a one-man band doing all of it yourself. Whereas an entrepreneur, they might be just a founder or they might be just a CEO. 
or they might hire employees. The business model of each is different as well. Solopreneurs are typically not looking to scale, whereas entrepreneurs are. So again, for most of you simply wondering about starting a business so that you can appreciate the benefits that I mentioned in the last episode, but you're not wanting to scale an entire enterprise, you're not wanting to you know, grossly expand all of the services that you offer, develop suites and all of that kind of stuff, you will remain a solopreneur, a single person who does business under an LLC. At any point, if that changes, if you decide to take on contractors, if you start bringing on team members, you start developing your business in a more sophisticated way, you may become an entrepreneur. Also, for IRS purposes, even when you start an LLC, you will be a solopreneur. Just hang with me here. I know this is a little convoluted and you're probably getting lost in all of this vocabulary. Like, Alicia, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna call myself an entrepreneur. Nobody knows what a solopreneur is. It's really important that I provide these definitions for you because I don't want you Googling the wrong thing or when you get into a business setup, if you're being referred to something and you've never heard that word before, I really want you to be informed and understand what it is that you're doing with your legal entities. So for IRS purposes, when you start an LLC, you will be a solopreneur. In fact, even if you scale and you have employees, by definition, you will still be a solopreneur to the IRS. And the reason for this is because an LLC is technically only a state level entity. An LLC is not an entity type that exists to the IRS, right? So if you go and look at the IRS, the only types of entities that they recognize as business are corporations. So S Corp or C Corp. If you're an individual person operating as a business, they consider you a solopreneur, straight up, right? And this remains true until you become an S Corp or a C Corp. And this is going to be important when we talk about taxes. And this is why an LLC is designated as what's called a pass-through entity. Because when you file your taxes, all of the money that you make in your business passes through to your personal income tax, okay? But in our staffing company, for example, we have six full-time employees, hundreds of contractors, and we are an LLC who is taxed as an S-Corp. This is a designation that you can make. This is a lot more sophisticated. You don't have to worry about any of this right now. But to the IRS, I am still a solopreneur because the legal standing entity of my business is an LLC. Okay. I know that that was a lot of technical jargon, you know, just to kind of get us to this point of, should I start a business or not, Alicia? <laughs> Stop making me dizzy with all of these words and explanations. Truthfully, 
it will not have a huge impact on how you conduct yourself on an ongoing basis. But like I said, it's important to me that I explain these things and that you understand it because it can be very technical. Just like in sports medicine, we have tendonitis, we have tenosynovitis, right? They're they're very minute details that change the way that something is classified. And that's this is the exact same thing. So as you're thinking about, should I start a business or not? I want to say something very frank. Financial benefits aside, anyone functioning as a healthcare professional should absolutely be rendering services under a business and not as a self-employed person. The risk associated with this work single-handedly makes starting a business warranted with the financial benefits being an added plus. Let me explain what I mean by that. As we've addressed in the previous episodes, when you're working as a gig worker specifically, when you're taking on per diem work specifically. So this is very much in relation to you accepting work with organizations that you have no prior relationship with, that you're showing up, you have no history with that population. You're rendering services to a demographic that you've never seen before, you've never put your hands on, you have no prior history with, you're rendering services and then you walk away. That is incredibly risky. No one is talking about this. No no one is normalizing how much risk is associated with just walking in and doing that, right? I mean, imagine if this was a nurse or a physical therapist or any other health provider that you can think of, there's a reason why they don't just show up on sidelines with people who they have no medical history with. Even when we think about an ER, right? Those are total strangers that are showing up there. They're getting medical histories from the EMTs or they have the medical assistants when you're being brought in to the emergency room that are taking medical histories. When you walk up to a knee injury on the side of a basketball court, You have nothing to work with except for what is being presented right in front of you. And if you're doing that as a self-employed person, oh my gosh, so scary. So, so scary. And that's why I say these financial benefits, the tax advantages, they're the cherry on top. The Sunday that you're going to be enjoying is made up of the risk mitigation by becoming a business owner. So I just feel the need to say this because no one in our profession is saying it as plainly as this. The conversation around, again, specifically per diem and gig work is not being explored in such a way that the litigious aspect is being accounted for. And because starting a business is nuanced, there are pros and there's cons, there's costs associated with it, and there are specific responsibilities associated with having a business, I understand that 
not very many athletic trainers are in a place to be saying these types of things, to be giving this type of advice. But none of these things that are associated with setting up and running a business are so burdensome that it's not worth starting a business. And with the prevalence of self-employed work in the profession, coupled with how litigious our society is, in my opinion, there is absolutely no reason, no reason why conducting your work under a business isn't happening. As a profession, we are exposing ourselves completely unnecessarily to undue risk where there is a simple fix. And there's nothing in the curriculum that is teaching us this. I mean, sure, there's hardly even any mentors or professional workers who even have the experience to speak to this. It's why I wanted to record an entire podcast season because as much as I have tried through social media, through NATA talks, through resources to say this as plainly as possible, I haven't been effective. And there's no other way that I can be more effective than giving you free CEUs to listen to me tell you this. (laughs) I'm not too proud to say that. Parts of this are covered in the per diem best practices that I authored and was published by NATA back in 2019. That's linked in our show notes, but you can also just go to NATA, look up their best practices. It's called the per diem best practices or just Google NATA per diem best practices. But admittedly, like this really has never been stated as plainly as I am today with you right now. And the reason for that is because there is such a void for this information, meaning like to say things as frankly as this and to be as assertive in what I am saying, it's difficult because there is a lot of nuance associated with this. And I will get into that in a second. And I want to leave room for those people that are shaking their head like, no, Alicia, you're wrong. Or no, I absolutely will not do that. It doesn't matter what you say. And honestly, do you live your life? But I firmly stand on the ground of needing to run all healthcare relation operations through a business. It doesn't take being negligent or doing something wrong to be named in a lawsuit. We've covered this extensively in our previous seasons of the business advantage, specifically when we had Tammy gone and we did all of the legalities pieces of athletic training. And to be clear, simply because you set yourself up as a business, that doesn't protect you against being named in a lawsuit either. There's literally nothing that you can do to prevent being named in a lawsuit. But it does help protect you and specifically protect your personal assets from being vulnerable in the event that you're named in a lawsuit. And on top of increased litigation, we're also seeing a rise in attacks on healthcare workers. I mean, you guys saw this during the pandemic. Those nurses and physicians and people who were being physically attacked in their line of work while they're working and delivering care. This all leads us to be very susceptible to risk. And you're putting your entire career, your license, your certification at risk. 
While entrepreneurship, self-employed work, and venturing out on your own does have a lot of exciting possibilities for retention within our profession, all of them, all of them can be immediately eliminated by exposing ourselves to undue risk. And that is why I am so passionate about healthcare providers running self-employed work under a business. So let's dive into it. Should you start a business? Okay, so I'm stepping off my soapbox for a second. (laughs) I hope you all could feel my passion through that. You know, while I will vehemently fight for the creation of a business entity, for anyone that is self-employed and rendering healthcare services, there are a few exceptions that I want to talk through that hopefully provide better overall context to this suggestion that I am making. So for example, I used to recommend that someone use a particular threshold of income or like a percentage of their overall income to determine when to switch from just self-employed work to running it under a business. So I think what I used to say was, you know, if you're making over $10,000 a year, and that was an arbitrary number, or if you're making greater than 20% of your income, and that was an arbitrary number. I had picked those numbers because they were financial numbers that were indicative of the amount of self-employed work you were doing. If you're doing less than $10,000 a year in self-employed work, you probably have a pretty limited exposure level compared to someone who's doing $50,000 a year of self-employed work. Or if majority of your income comes from an employer and only a very small percentage comes from doing self-employed work, I used to think, you know, the, the cost and the burden associated with setting up a business, it's really, you know, too much to overcome for someone that really isn't doing this work on a consistent enough basis to demonstrate it. But now I recommend that someone examines their overall exposure level. And here's what I mean by that. How well do you know the population that you're going to be working with? What is the rate of incident in the demographic that you're working with? What is the level of competition associated with the services that you're going to be rendering? Do you have other safeguards in place, such as an EAP, physician oversight? Do you have a written contract or other things in place? My husband and I started a consulting firm for aspiring and established business owners who are looking to start, scale, or shift their businesses. We've worked with everyone from independent athletic trainers to multi-million dollar corporations. We've translated our foundational principles across 35 plus industries and would love to support you as well. Head to penningtonperspective.com for more info Or feel free to just DM me directly on IG at It's Alicia MP. That's I-T-S-A-L-I-S-H-A-M-P. See you there. So now when I look at should you be self-employed or should you run it through a business, it's not just based on the dollar amount. Because each of these factors has 
an associated level of risk tied to them. So let me give you a few examples to provide some further context. And I want to give these examples and I'm going to try to be as open-minded as possible with these. I am specifically being nuanced here and I will hope that you understand this because this decision of should I start a business or should I remain self-employed is nuanced and it is very specific and individualized to each person. And there's no general standard that I can give anymore like I used to several years ago. So let's start with one example. Let's say that every year you provide services for an annual U18 tennis tournament that comes to town for two weeks. This is your only exposure level. This is really the only gig work that you pick up. That's pretty much it. You hear Alicia saying, run all gig work through a business. And you're over here like, oh, I work so little, little of it. I don't even really know, right? So let's think about this situation. There is a low level of acute injury, likely mostly chronic issues that you're going to see here. So you as a single provider probably has a lower risk level. Since they're U18, they're likely not professionals or not playing at the pro level yet. So there's really no money on the line as a professional athlete, potentially a college scholarship though. So that's not nothing, but again, point A, likelihood of risk, pretty low. It's an annual tournament that you have a trusting relationship with the tournament providers. You have a written agreement every single year and you've been doing this for years. Again, that's not nothing. Having established rapport and relationship and written contracts in place, it makes a difference in your risk level. They have a physician available for consult who oversees you in this tournament and is easily reachable for you to refer anything that you need a second set of eyes on. So when we think about that, overall, it seems like your risk is pretty low. And though you can never fully avoid all risk, as we've talked about, if this was all that you were doing as a self-employed person, you could probably get away with never starting a business. You would probably be perfectly fine to just remain a self-employed individual, work this tournament every year. Yeah, you're not getting the tax benefits, but you're probably not doing a whole lot to take advantage of those tax benefits. So do the little bit that you can that I've already mentioned and, you know, minimize that tax bill. We'll just write off your CEU dues, your licensing fees, any of your Red Cross, anything else that you do to remain a certified professional. And you're probably perfectly fine. Hang out there forever and ever. Amen. Totally fine. Stay there. Let's look at a different situation. Let's say that you are the personal athletic trainer to an up and coming esports athlete. You've put together a prevention plan for them. You typically render services when they come back home from a long tournament weekend. And occasionally they will call you when they're away, when their elbow or their wrist flares up during a tournament, right? Let's dissect this a little bit. You're probably thinking that this is like super low key and you'd never start a business for this. (laughs) 
you're probably like, Alicia, this is as obvious as the first one, but I'm going to tell you why it's not. There is one key reason why you should start a business for this one. There's a lot of money in pro sports, in esports specifically. And if this athlete was somehow injured by your work, you could be held liable for their entire potential career. That's a major distinction (laughs) that you need to be aware of from the U18 amateur tennis player and the already professional esports athlete that is on the rise, right? And so I didn't use really traditional sports or really obvious situations to describe these because I think that if you can extract the primary points from these two situations, then you can determine what is best for you, right? There is no hard and fast like I used to be. There is no real cutoff threshold. You have a certain tolerance for risk, And depending on where that falls for yourself, depending on what you're exposing yourself to on any kind of ongoing basis, that's where the determination of should I start a business or should I not start a business should be coming from. The other point that I want to bring up related to starting a business is the costs and the responsibility associated with it right? So I will get into the legalities in a separate episode and full disclosure, like, yes, there are things that you need to do to maintain a business entity. Okay. It's not nothing, but it's really not a whole lot either. And the other piece of that is cost. To my knowledge, California is the most expensive state to start an LLC. It costs $800 just to file the paperwork and to get started. This $800 does count towards your taxes at the end of the year. So it is kind of an upfront cost, but it does count towards something, but they do make you pay it. However, I will add that California has waived the cost of starting an LLC through December 31st, 2023. So if you're listening to this in 2023 and you're in California and you're listening, thinking, hmm, I think I really should start a business, do it before December 31st because otherwise you'll have to owe $800, okay? And this is a considerable amount upfront. Most states are a fraction of this and I'll actually put a link in the show notes that will list every single state. So you can just pop over to the show notes and take a look over there, see what the cost associated with it in your state is. Sometimes it's not even $100. Sometimes it's $30. Sometimes maybe it's a couple hundred dollars. It literally is different for every single state. So yes, there are some hoops to jump through and there are some tasks to manage on an ongoing basis, okay? One of those things is that you also need to set up a separate bank account and an accounting software, and you need to file taxes separately of your personal returns each year. You may also be required to do quarterly estimated taxes, and overall, you will be required to maintain 
books. This can be very straightforward. It can be very easy. I have an entire course that walks you through how to do something like this. And in another episode, The Legalities, I will dive further into the importance of these things because there's this term called piercing the corporate veil, which essentially means that you can't receive all of the benefits of being a business without actually operating as one. So if you were thinking that already, like, hmm, you're scheming over there thinking, I could just set up the business, I could have everything paid to my business, but I don't have to do any of this like legal mumbo jumbo that Alicia's talking about. Doesn't work like that, sorry. So I'll be talking you through how to start a business in a few episodes. So come back for details on that. No worries, don't be intimidated, it's not a lot. The other thing that I wanna talk about in relation to whether you should start a business or not is if you're interested in a non-healthcare related venture. So up to this point in this podcast season, I have only been referencing the benefits of business ownership as as it relates to risk if you are operating as an athletic trainer. But maybe you want to open an Etsy store for cute shirts or stickers and tumblers. Maybe you're a bookkeeper or a notary on the side. By the way, guys, I'm getting these examples from actual athletic trainers who I have worked with and helped them start their businesses. There are actual athletic trainers out there who are running notary businesses. There are actually athletic trainers out there who are operating as bookkeepers, who have Etsy stores. You've probably purchased from them, okay? You have a passion for flowers and you have that as a hobby. Another athletic trainer I have worked with that has started a flower business The question here is, do you still need to start a business for those endeavors? And here we go again. My same answer as we just talked about is going to be, it depends. If you're offering PDF downloads, simple products or services that are rendered without touching someone, you can probably operate all of that as just a DBA, right? So DBA basically means that you're Jessica Simpson doing business as Lauren Conrad, whatever. (laughs) Um, You don't actually have to set up a business entity. You are not registered or identified as a business entity. You simply are doing business as another name and you can do whatever name that you want. Selling products on a site like Etsy or Shopify, Squarespace, one of those, it does have protections built in. And because of disclaimers that many of those sites have for their own vendors, you will have a level of protection available to you. But, you know, separate of whether, let's just say you start your own website, like it's very unlikely that someone can be harmed from buying your sparkly tumbler or the toddler t-shirt that has a screen print on it, right? So same thing for floral offerings or other like non-personal services. You probably don't need to start a business and you would be totally fine operating as a self-employed person or just a DBA so long as some of these other aspects are accounted for. And the other thing here is that Everything we talked about in the last episode with business owner benefits, they still apply, even if you're doing non-healthcare related services. So while the risk 
is way lower, the different benefits of having a business still apply, right? So though the risk is low, that doesn't mean it's non-existent. And if you're a homeowner, if you have a child, if you have savings in your retirement or you have other assets, you still should consider putting your self-employed work under an LLC because of all of the things that we've already discussed up to this point. I personally have worked with nearly 100 solopreneurs and entrepreneurs wanting to start their own business. Some of them are athletic trainers who work per diem and will never do anything more and decided to put that work under an LLC to protect themselves. Others are athletic trainers wanting to develop personal or concierge services or an online database of exercises or do consulting to other entities. And others have completely unrelated hobbies, kind of like the ones I've already listed. And all of them will have varying situations pertaining to their risk and what is at stake for them because there is the aspects of the business and then there's the aspects of their personal livelihood. And so if you Googled, should I start a business? The results that will come up are related to once you start making money, once you have an idea that you like, all of that kind of stuff. And the fact is, even as just a self-employed person, you have overcome many barriers that others who are thinking about starting a business would suffer with. You've got a built-in customer base. Your work mostly comes to you, pretty much without ever having to market yourself. You have a talent that you can differentiate yourself with. You have certifications and degrees to validate your knowledge. You're highly trained and you can respond in real time. You have built-in processes for addressing needs and so much more. This is why I say that athletic trainers are already trained in entrepreneurship. Many of the skills that make businesses flourish are already ingrained in us. We're problem solvers. We know how to evaluate a situation. We come up with multiple solutions based on budget and time and overall resources and more. And you'll learn when I get to the next episode about viability or sustainability that this is exactly what business is. It's providing solutions to people that have problems. That's it. That's all that it is. And so the transition to entrepreneurship for me was easier than I expected because the way that our brains are trained as healthcare providers translates really well into providing solutions in the business space. I mean, don't overcomplicate things. Really, all that business is, is serving people with the solutions that they're looking for. Truthfully, that's the extent of it. We make it way more nuanced and convoluted than it has to be. According to research done by Guidant Financial for Trends in 2022, they found the following percentages for reasons why people start a business. 26%, they're ready to be their own boss. And I know that a lot of you athletic trainers can relate to this. I see so many posts on Facebook pages and message boards around the working conditions and the things that you're subjected to, whether it's from your supervisor or from coaches or from other people, like you're just ready 
to not deal with that anymore. And, you know, that lines up with what a lot of people feel when they want to start their own business. Over a quarter of them, they just want to be their own boss. 23%, they want to pursue their passion. Many of you, athletic training is your passion, but maybe you've lost your luster in it because something is being taken away from you. Something is impeding on your joy in the delivery of athletic training services. And so you want to be able to deliver care in a way that you see fit, that actually impacts things. And so you want to pursue your passion. 23% of people feel the same. 19% of people, the opportunity presented itself. Maybe some of you are getting so much gig work You guys have been able to take so much advantage of this demand for athletic trainers that you've become a traveling athletic trainer. And the opportunity presented itself for you to go out on your own full-time. 12% of people are just dissatisfied with corporate America. And again, I think that a lot of athletic trainers can relate with that. 6% laid off or outsourced. 6% not ready to retire. 5% other. And then here, 3%, a life event right? There's a death in your family. There's a divorce. You have a kid. These are reasons why people step out on their own. And it's no different. I think that it is perfectly emblematic in our profession as well. And so regardless of what your motivation is, we can find ourselves successfully pursuing business ownership, whether that is a direct athletic training related field or a completely alternative industry altogether. As healthcare providers working in a self-employed capacity, we need to be conducting this work under a business for both risk and financial benefit. Since there is no formal knowledge around this during our education, and very few mentors exist who work in this capacity within the profession, saying this as plainly as possible is necessary. And moreover, We run the risk of operating haphazardly in our delivery of care, which compromises patient outcomes and is just completely unacceptable. We don't need to do that. There is a great possibility for the retention of our profession by exploring alternative ways of working. But if we expose ourselves to undue risk in the process, it eliminates the full benefit of actually exploring these opportunities. Thank you for listening. You are now eligible to receive a Category A CEU. Head to advantageacademy.com, find the title of this podcast as a course name, and complete the quiz for your credit. As always, if you found this useful, please recommend it to peers or share about it on social media. Be sure to tag us at The Advantage. That's T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E.